FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 478 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked, I'm your host Jason, and we're here to talk about death. That's right, death. We're going to kick off 10 deaths in Wolverine number 1. We're also going to conclude our coverage of the death of Doctor Strange. And then we'll do some other death and life and death. It's all about life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Um, before we get to that, do you have a couple of things I want to just kind of mention. Um, one, Pat suggested that fans of the show be here... Where, where for with, with <laughs> I don't remember but no. anyway then uh that you dear listeners should be the bub club and I kind of can't disagree so we'll see how often I remember to say it but I hereby crown all of you as members honorary members of the bub club <laughs> if you love it thank Pat if you hate it blame me I'll take it I'll take it Pat um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why I never thought of that before, but uh, I think it's perfect. So, so yes, we're going to talk about uh, the 10 deaths of Wolverine, which I'm looking forward to getting into. Um, Before we get to that, I do want to talk about the uh, the Marvel Unlimited comic exclusive, Life of Wolverine number two. This is going to be written by Jim Zub, art by... Ramon Box, colors by Hava Tartaglia, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and production by Annie Ching and Tim Smith III. Now, long-time listeners of the show will know this is not unique. <laughs> and I've done this before. But Clint, a fan of the sh- friend of the show, we'll, we'll say friend of the show, Clint, by the way, um... Once I get all my house stuff situated and I'm a little more routine and recording at more normal hours of the day <laughs> slash night, um, you know, so maybe like later in the spring, if you're still, you know, jamming on the show, I'd love to maybe have you on. So uh, I'll, I'll connect with you uh, via direct message or something, but and we've had a lot of good conversation. I'd like to like to get you on the show at some point, so... There you go, Clint. But anyway, um, he pointed out very friendly, very nicely, that um, I was mixing up, when I was talking about the first issue, uh, Jim Zub with Zub Wells, and he is 100% correct. I got my Z words all flipped, all crisscrossed, and I've done that before on this show. I did it when I was on House of X, and they went right along with me. So I don't know if, if uh, Dylan and Regina just didn't, if they got the same mix-up, or I convinced them and led them astray. I'm going to probably go with option B. I, I'm a bad influence, so I probably led them astray. But, um, you know, my point still kind of holds, because I like Jim Zub, too. I mean, either way, I think either of these guys, Zeb Wells, which was the person I was talking about, because I mentioned specifically Hellions and uh, his current work on Amazing Spider-Man, that is 100% Zeb Wells. Clint is 100% right. Uh, Jim Zeb, though, also has done some good stuff. Uh, like recently, 
that the Avengers No Road Home, I believe. Gosh, I hope I'm not wrong on that too. I better, I better Google that shit real fast <laughs> because I would hate to issue a correction and then be wrong in my correction. <laughs> that would really suck. Um, okay. Yes, I know. Low battery. I get it. Um, all right. So, oh no. Well, Amazon is pointless. Um, okay, do, 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 do. the team that brought you, let's see if it says he's on the team that brought me, Paco Medina and two more, yes, um, I know that Medina wrote it, or drew it, um, oh, way to go, way to not include that information at all in the description of the item, thanks for that. So, anyway, I guess I'm not going to be able to say. I thought it was him. Avengers, no, road home. That was Mark Wade. <laughs> oh, no, Jim's up to some of it, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Mark Wade, Al, Zoo, Al Ewing, Al Zooing. He just throws these everywhere. Mark Zaid, Al Zooing, and Jim's up. Um, <laughs> regardless, I like Jim's up, too. So the point still remains that... If you have a talented art writer, let them write. Um, anyway, uh, Life of Wolverine number two. All that to get to. Uh, this one is chapter two, Animal in a Cage, and it summarizes the end of the origin miniseries, starting with the uh, kind of the cage fighting that Wolverine does, rem reminiscent from the first X-Men movie, where they find him brawling. Um, and then to the accidental death of Rose, to him going out to live with the wild animals. And they also bridge the gap into Origin 2, which is mo mostly a Creed miniseries, but had Logan in it as well. And when he was trapped and experimented on for the first time, and kind of shown as a circus sideshow freak, and how Nathaniel Essex got involved, of course that's Mr. Sinister, and then, you know, how he left for Madripoor. And so, you know, depending on what they decide to focus on in Madripoor, maybe Chapter 3 will kind of show us something new or something that could lead to something new. But um, anyway, I'm going to give this the same one I gave the first one. It's it's a good summary. The art is okay. Um, the writing is a good description of events that happen on a very 3,000-foot view level. Um... I mean, three out of six claws. It's not bad. It's not particularly good. If, Like I said, if you didn't want... I won't say if you didn't have, because I, you know, this is on Marvel Unlimited, and so if you're reading it, you have access to all the books it's referencing. It's, they're all on the same app. Um, but if you just don't want to read all those books, which I would recommend that you do, by the way, um, my personal recommendation would be that you read both Origin and Origin 2. Um... Origin 1 is a, a classic in every sense of the word. And I, I, if I remember right, we were pretty high on most of Origin 2 when we covered it when it came out. Um, I, I've not read it since then, so it's been a little while. But I remember liking it. I mean, it's Adam Kubert art for most of it, so come on. Um, or maybe all of it. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, if you just don't have time to read or don't want to read it yet... You just want some information that may 
inform 10 lives and 10 deaths, then it's a good catch-up, and it's fine for what it is. So, anyway, that's the Life of Wolverine number 2, 3 out of 6 claws. So that's going to take us right into our event, which is going to be the 10 deaths of Wolverine number 1. So... This is what we're here for in this episode, our, week, our weekly series on this Wolverine event. So this is Time to Die, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Federico Vincentini, uh, colors by Dijonima with Frank Martin, letters and design by VCs Corey Pettit, designed by Tom Mueller, and the main cover by Adam Kubert and Frank Martin. And that's what I have right now, and it is the one we've seen advertised for a while. It's... A mostly black background with some like gold stardust. And then Wolverine in silhouette, but outlined or I guess glowing with techno organic uh, biocircuitry in gold. And then he's, he has just slashed his arms down. Like he had them crossed in the X and pulled them down. So you have like the echo of his action with these kind of gold light swooshes that make an X in front of them. It's a really nice cover. It's very striking. Uh, the colors really work really well together. Um, it's a really cool cover. Now, I was hoping I would have them. I don't quite yet. It should be here in a few days as I'm recording this. But I also got several alternate covers, and so we'll kind of go through the gallery here in the back. So we talked about the main cover. There's also a Mokmoon Azrog cover, which is a just crazy-looking saber-tooth over a disemboweled, standing over a disemboweled Wolverine. Um, I mean, I love Azrar. I don't know, there's something about the Sabertooth face which is a little off-putting, and probably intentionally so, but in a way that I didn't necessarily jump and pony up for the money on that one. Um, Mark Bagley also did another trading card variant. It looks like the same pose, but instead of being the original costume, it's now the modern current costume. The, the brown and yellow version, or brown and orange, whatever you want to call it. Then uh, Nick Russell, I don't remember seeing this on 10 Lives, but for 10 Deaths, there's a trading card back design. And it's like, so if you have a trading card, right, the idea is on the back, it's got like information. And sometimes it's like in the form of like a top secret file. And that's what this one is, and it looks pretty cool. Then you have an awesome one by Juan Cabal, the Stormbreaker variant of him doing uh, Laura and Gabby from his all new Wolverine X-23 work. Um, pretty awesome. And then, uh, yeah, the connecting collage by M.R. Garson or Mr. Garson. Not sure which one. Um, now it's cool because Clint, I guess, already has his copies of these and put them together. So part of the collage, so X, I'm sorry, 10 Lives had the right side of Wolverine's face as the collage and the images behind it. And then this one, 10 Deaths, has the left side. And so you can put them together to make one giant collage. I look forward to doing that myself when I get those. Uh, but Clint has sent me a picture of that, and it looks great. So thanks, Clint, for sharing that. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it looks fantastic. So I'm really like I'm not real familiar with Stephanie Hans, but I love this variant. Um, it's a techno organic or phalanx Wolverine busting out of the grave. Uh, it says, here lies James Howitt, Weapon X, Logan, Wolverine, but uh, the te the Phalanx Techno-Organic Wolverine is clawing his way out of the grave. It looks awesome. Also, a really cool one that I'm looking forward to, to holding in my hands the, by Dan Jurgens, Brett Breeding, and Edgar Delgado. 
it's kind of the same symbolism or, or same kind of concept as the main cover. But it's got the, like, the bio circuitry in the background. And then Wolverine's cow in black in front. And then on each side of the cow, you know, the three claws. But then a fully illustrated drawing of Wolverine in the Cerebra helmet underneath the cow between the three, between the two sets of claws. It's a really nice layout. Really striking looking. I like that one a lot. I almost went with that for the cover image instead of the main cover, but didn't quite, but it definitely was worth it. Um, you have a Hidden Gem, Hidden Gem variant by Sam Keith and Dean White, and it's just a classic uh, Sam Keith Wolverine pose of him hunched over, legs out to the side, one arm with claws going down in front, face in shadow. An image he's replicated more than once, but with both Wolverine and Max. <laughs> um, but still, it's a pretty cool looking cover. Then you have the Omega Design Spoiler, uh, so I guess what, that's what we're calling this Wolverine is Omega Wolverine. Um, and it is by Adam Kubert, and it's kind of like a white digital background uh, with the, the square grids and then, you know, Kubert's design. I was not able to grab this one in my bundle, and I really wish it was in there because um, it looks really nice. Right, I have it here in the gallery. Um, then you have a Gerald Perel cover which looks pretty cool. Um, it's, I guess, what we'll call our Omega Wolverine. Um, just in front of a sunset, or sunrise, and it looks great. Then we have an anime-style variant by Ricky Yagawa, and we have our Wolverine family in the laundromat. It's really great. Um, you have um, Wolverine and his flip-flops sitting between Laura and Dokken, and it's, it's a really fun cover so I'd seen I saw someone tweet that a few weeks ago and it was really really fun so I really like it okay well, let's get into our story so this one is going to run right out of the ending of Inferno okay so so X lives didn't really necessarily feel directly connected like obviously you knew Inferno happened but it, this one is like I mean literally feels like the scene after the close of Inferno and I think that really excited some people and really bothered some people. And we'll maybe talk about a couple of different perspectives that I saw or was communicated with. Um, but right on the back, as uh, Clint had asked, because he's, he's catching stuff, I think, a little bit later, so a little behind, um, or and just decided. <laughs> uh, he was very much Team Georgie and was kind of upset about Hickman leaving and so was not keeping up with all the books. Um, but two, he had asked a question about Moira's arm, and yeah, definitely. So remember from Inferno that part of Mystique and Destiny's Retribution was they cut off Moira's arm and left it as bait um, so that Xavier and Magneto would, would find it at the uh, Orcus headquarters and went to all that climactic battle uh, between them and uh, Nimrod. Um, but also remember when they finally confronted Moira and Warlock stepped out and revealed all that he revealed and what he knew and was kind of keeping up with and when they realized that the it wasn't in their best interest to kill Moira after they took away her mutant powers because they used that gun room that Forge built uh, to take away Moira's powers making her human so they could kill her without set re rebooting the universe. But Warlock stepped in for his own reasons that haven't really been completely revealed yet other than him just being 
a good guy. <laughs> um, so he helped Moira get kind of a head start on her escape. And not saying he'd like protect her forever, he just said, I'm going to let you get out of here, and then it's kind of up to you what you do next. Which is a really interesting take. Um, but anyway, his parting gift to her was a techno organic arm to replace the one that Mystique and Destiny took. So, that's where we're going to start in this book is Moira McTaggart on the run from Mystique. And she has her techno organic arm, but she is no longer a mutant. And she runs through the gate that she knows that goes back home. Now, it says Scotland, so not quite Muir Island. Um, but she runs. She runs into stormy weather. And she's in Scotland. And she's got a really bad cough. So, I don't They don't really completely explain, like, how or why this happened or why it came up with... I mean, I guess the assumption that we were left with is that... Her mutant power was keeping this in check somehow, but with her being depowered, she now has what I'm guessing is either lung cancer or something else like that, but she's coughing up blood. It's not good. Um, I think there's a distinct correlation between what she's dealing with with cancer and what we'll see in a few minutes, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so yeah, so she is coughing up blood, so she's not only on the run, but... Her clock is ticking from both, kind of, she's being hunted from without and from within herself, like inside her own bodies, like on a, on a time clock, not to mention knowing that Mystique is after her. So she uh, takes some poor guy's truck. <laughs> she uses it to crash the gate to at least buy her a little bit of time and then drives off. And then it's funny because... Uh, uh, not funny, it's, it's a cool little scene where she's driving off in the truck and there's a bunch of crows or ravens flying above her. Obviously, raven doesn't have the power to turn into birds, but at least not multiple birds. But maybe one of them could be her, I guess. You can shapeshift in whatever she wants. But I thought it was just a good symbolism, right? Because Mystique's name is Raven. So, little on the nose. Maybe I'm, I shouldn't have to explain it that much. You probably got it as soon as I described the scene. But anyway, uh, that's that's what we got. So she continues to drive back to her house where she grew up and was raised and is trying to figure out what to do. That's when she realizes she's coughing up blood and you know talks about how kind of mad she is. Then we go back to Krakoa. We're at the Green Lagoon Bar and Black Tom has a fit. And he, he's like, something's wrong. Something's wrong with the island. And he runs off and he's sending roots into the ground trying to figure it out. And something pops up and he thinks it's maybe like a tumor. And then we change scenes. So we'll come back to that. So um, Moira went to McCarthy Medical Institute, which where she meets Dr. Jane Foster. Now, I'm a little behind on the Valkyrie book. I'm enjoying it very, very much, but I'm like three issues behind. I do. I was talking to Georgie and Dan about this with the Nightwing. Um, so I do this thing on my new books, especially the ones I actually buy, like physical copies of them, don't read digitally. Um, I make a reading stack. I put the stuff I'm most excited about at the bottom. So when I'm in a phase right now where I'm kind of other, so other than the suffering from the podcast, I'm a little behind on new books. I'm really enjoying my 70s 
<laughs> Marvel read through and spending a lot of time doing that. So I'm a little behind on have a nice little stack of new comics that I need to get to both physical and digital. Um, and but what that means is so when I get to places like this where I'm really behind, that means I'm even further behind on the books I love the most. So like Nightwing especially, like I'm like six issues <laughs> in the hole because I it's at the bottom of my stack and I keep adding to it and I keep getting further behind on other stuff that I'm reading but I don't like it as much not saying I don't like it but I mean Nightwing's like one of my favorite books right now so it's just staying at the bottom it's sitting at the bottom with uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El and Action Comics and um, the Valkyrie book is also pretty far down I really enjoyed the first couple issues of that so I have stockpiled the rest of the issues and I need to get to them so I the last I remember of Dr. Jane Foster was her still working in the morgue but here she's definitely treating Moira as a patient and yeah it is definitely stage 4 lung cancer as I'm remembering the image now looking at this so and it's metastasized I can never say that right um but she's like, you knew that. You you were looking for something else. And she's like, I need I need Krakoa petals. And Jane's like, I can't get you that. The wait list is too long. I'll help you. But, you know, I, I can't do that. And she, she asked Moira to like, tell her, like, what's going on? Like, why are you, why aren't the X-Men and the mutants helping you? And she's like, I can't really talk about it. Um, and then as Jane leaves, a nurse comes in and is mystique. And a battle ensues there in the in the medical room uh, with the medical equipment. Um, Moira throws a bunch of syringes at at Mystique, um, but then there's just a bloody crash as Valkyrie comes in in an awesome panel. Looks fantastic. Looks great. Um, and she's like she hovers over Mystique and says to Moira, "Go," and throws like her light chain out the window and Moira like climbs down or actually it seems like she almost falls down I'm not real sure let's see do they show we'll get to her landing in a minute but um we won't she somehow gets down I don't know what story we're on what floor we're on but she jumps out the window and, and somehow escapes so then we can go back to Krakoa and Black Tom's like is this an egg or a tumor or what and that's when our Omega Wolverine, our phalanx or biotechno-organic Wolverine, comes out with a big snick and he decapitates Black Tom. And then we see um, the CIA X desk um, has been very involved with, with Benjamin Percy's other books like X Force and Wolverine. Um, they saw Moira escape from the hospital and do some facial recognition, determine it's her, and say she must be on the run. So she's either, um, you know, she's, she's either a defector or an escaped prisoner. And they know that she was presumed dead. So they're really surprised to see her alive and then also see her fleeing and, you know, being on the run from Krakoa. So they're like, we need to, we need to pull her in like, right away, figure out what's going on. So we get a really cool scene where um, Moira's like, I gotta change my appearance. She goes in the bathroom, cuts her hair, dyes it. And then we see our Omega Wolverine on the hunt. She goes, to, He goes to Moira's no place. He's sniffing stuff. He's trying to track her. Moira notices that she's being tracked not only by Mystique, who could be anywhere, but also some 
not quite subtle enough uh, security goons and she does eventually get apprehended uh, you know Moira if you remember so one of the first times we see Moira is you know fighting and scrapping <laughs> from her first appearance right um, so she can hold her own even without her powers and does so with these CIA goons and is able to temporarily get away and you know grabs a motorbike and, and is on the run so she's on the run not only from mystique but from the humans as well with nowhere to go and she's got lung cancer at stage four so things are not looking up for moira metagart um then we go back to the cradle where you know we see gene and xavier with wolverine's body they sent him back you know into the past when Gene senses Omega Wolverine, we get another like big giant snicked. But he runs off, and she's like, "Logan, is that you?" And he says, "I'm no one. I was never here." As he jumps away into the into Krakoa, surrounded by light, and of course his his techno organics on his hands and claws and and cow. Um, and yeah, so the art's pretty good. Uh, it works pretty well for the story, actually, quite well, I thought. It's really nice. And the pacing of this was really nice. Um, you know, it has like a, the fugitive feel in a lot of ways, right? And there's some tropes that come with that, but I felt like they were handled really well. And I feel like the pacing, it was exciting, it was fast-paced. The kinetics of the art with Moira's kind of trying to escape and stuff all looked really good. It felt really good. It moved really well. Um, I really enjoyed this. Now, okay, so a couple of different perspectives I've seen. Some people are super glad that even though Hickman is gone, the story is continuing on what he did with Inferno and is taking that, you know, in an interesting direction. Some people have also been like, I'm really mad Hickman's gone. This is bastardizing his vision. <laughs> it obviously isn't what he wanted to do. It doesn't feel like Hickman, so I don't like it. And I think both of those are valid perspectives. I kind of sit in the middle. Um, I do lament and wish we could have seen more specifically what Hickman wanted to do. And I have some misgivings that we won't ever really get to see his plans for what would have happened after Inferno, or really even if Inferno didn't get changed because he knew he was leaving. There's going to be a part of me that always wishes we would have had more time specifically with Hickman and his plans and and being able to see those through. And that said, nothing can really be done about it. He's gone. (laughs) And whatever happened to these stories, I'm not going to hold them to a standard of, well, is this what Hickman wanted? I just, I I don't have the emotional energy to do that. So I'm going to judge these stories, and this story in particular, since it is really coming right out of the pages of the the last scene from Inferno. I'm not going to hold it against what could have been. I'm going to hold this and talk about what it is. And for what it is, I enjoyed it. I thought the art was really good. Like I said, the story was well-paced. The action was good. Um... I'm not sure if I'm as, like, ooh, about the mystery of, like, what's going on with Omega Wolverine. My feeling 
that something goes awry in the mission of 10 lives. And so this Omega Wolverine that has come back to the present now in what looks like is appearing to also be on the hunt for Moira because he went to the no place and was snooping around. So it feels like he's maybe looking for Moira too. So another disadvantage for her, <laughs> Wolverine, one of the best tracker killers of all time, is now on the case. Um, I wonder if, if somehow the mission that Xavier and Jean sent Logan's kind of essence back in to inhabit a body and is jumping through time. Like, like if Ten Lives is like Days of Future Past meets Quantum Leap, then I wonder if Ten Death is the end of that journey because something went wrong and now somehow not only has Wolverine's essence come back from the future, but has come with the future techno-organic virus slash phalanx stuff warlock, whatever you want to call it, um, with him, and that that all get connected back, and that's how these stories will tie together. That's my theory, that's my guess, is that, and that's why he didn't want to be noticed by Gene, but is also like, hey, I'm not here, um, but also doesn't really, like, go out of his way to, like, really try to cover it up, necessarily, he's just trusting that Gene won't tattle on him, and he's going about his mission, and... So yeah, I, I think that's what's going to happen. I'm like I said, I'm not like super like ooh about the mystery of that, but it's interesting enough, and visually it looks cool. Um, and Vicent, Vic, Vicentini, I'm going to go back and look at his name. Yeah, Vicentini does. I mean, this book looks great. Between him and uh, Lima and Martin on the colors, like the book really pops. The action really pops, especially the kinetic, kinetic action. Really looks good, so very excited about that. Um, yeah, you know what? I really enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, I feel like it's a good step from Inferno. Um, I really enjoyed the connection between Jane Foster. Like I said, I don't I need to catch up on her status, but whether whatever, she's at the hospital. She's treating Moira um, as a cancer survivor to someone who just found out that they suddenly have stage four cancer out of nowhere. Um, you know, it's a good scene, and, and the Valkyrie showing up, that was a great, great page. It was a nice full-page splash, and his Valkyrie jumping on top of Mystique, and it was really nice. Um, and I like that Mystique's, like, going after her, just like she promised she would. Like, she agreed for, with Warlock to let, kind of let her Moira escape out of that standoff at the end of Inferno, but, you know, Moira had her start time, and now Mystique is in full effect in business after her. Um, I I really enjoyed this. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so I'm going to give uh, 10 deaths and Wolverine number one. Six out of six claws. I think both sides of this event are starting off hot. And out of the gate, uh, burning on all cylinders. I love... I just really... I keep coming back to this word and this concept, but I just really love the pacing of 10 deaths. It just felt like a really good pace. It was like a nice, just action movie. You know, the fugitive meets whatever. It just, it felt really good. So I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Definitely let me know what you thought, if you want to share. I'd love to, to read those as we go through the next couple of episodes uh, with the next few weeks of these books. But yeah, six out of six for me. I'm all in right now. 
We'll see how it goes, but for right now, on both uh, 10 lives and 10 deaths, I'm all in, I'm excited, I'm enjoying it, and there you go. So now we're going to go to another event that I've also been enjoying quite a bit, and that's the death of Doctor Strange. This is number 5, this is the last chapter. Um, this is, of course, written by Jed McKay, who I've been really enjoying. Kind of the... I don't want to say underrated, because I feel like people are... I mean, I feel like his books are doing pretty good, but I don't maybe hear him talked about as like like the top writer at Marvel or like in that group, but man, he's as good, I think. He's doing really good stuff right now. I really enjoyed his Black Cat and enjoyed this series a lot and some other, a couple other things I've seen him do have been really fun. Um, so yeah, written by Jeb McKay, art by Lee Garbett or Garbay, I'm not sure. Uh, colors by Antonio Fabella. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Woohoo! Uh, and the cover is by Carrie Andrews. And on this cover, we have a close-up of Doctor Strange's face. Really like just the right half of his face. And he's got one of his hands up in front of his face with magic colors coming out. A little light show. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's obviously like a nice like, painted cover. It looks nice. It's good. Okay, so up to this point, Death of Doctor Strange. Um... You know, Doctor Strange was so we have these these three mothers and this kind of infant terrible and this going through all the realms, eating magic. Then Doctor Strange was murdered. He had made like a pocket version of his younger self that comes back to solve the murder in that event that ever happened. Uh, remember, there's not a heir apparent to, of Sorcerer Supreme, so part of the Sorcerer Supreme's job is to maintain the barrier between Earth and other dimensions, so that was broken. So all these other sorcerers and magic entities from other dimensions have come as refugees to Earth fleeing the, these terrible uh, bad guys that are eating magic. And then we find out that it was Baron Mordo's apprentice, or uh, not really apprentice, that's not really the right word, his lackey? <laughs> his Igor? Um, was the one that killed Doctor Strange and took his hand so he has magic and so they all go to this like refuge, magic refuge base in, Ar in, Antarctic, in Antarctica for the big final showdown I don't want to go too much into depth because I mean Wolverine as part of the X-Men team and I mean Laura Wolverine um, is in the book but really just kind of one of the fighters, but basically Doctor Strange, with the power of all of Earth's other magicians, and we see kind of their floating heads, is able to fight um, Mordo's sidekick, and, and really, so cast a spell of regeneration, a healing spell, because uh, this guy had warded himself against spells, and Doctor Strange couldn't really fight him very well, and what he does is he casts a regeneration, but he casts it on the hands, which are the hands he had cut off of Doctor Strange's body and sewn onto his own. And basically what it does is it overwrites this guy's body with current Doctor... So young, young Doctor Strange from the past overwrites this guy's body from the hands down with current Doctor Strange and re like, kind of resurrects him by replacing him. Um, and at that point, we get ready for the big fight. Uh, our two Doctor Stranges join together. They come up with a plan. Um, then uh, Wolverine with the X-Men and the Avengers all show up. And it's a really nice art. And they fight. And uh, Wolverine 
there's a really cool scene where she's fighting side by side of Black Panther, which I love. Um, and then, yeah, they continue to, to fight through, and they're, they're fighting the monsters, but they're not doing very well because you really need magic. And so Doctor Strange makes like this pentagram of Sorcerer Supremes from other dimensions, which it makes sense, but I forget to call magic the or Ileana the Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo. Totally buy it. I know, I've, I think I've heard it before. I just forget that that's like a designation she has. So it's really cool to be reminded of that and just have another reason that she's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's Doctor Strange, uh, Taboro, Sorcerer Supreme in the Sixth Dimension, Agamon of the Purple Dimension, Clea of the Dark Dimension, and Magic of Limbo form this magic pentagram and are able not really to defeat the three mothers and the baby, but slow it down. But essentially what happens is the young Doctor Strange sacrifices himself, martyrs himself, by not attacking the baby, the black magic baby with his physical self, but with his astral form. And the baby who eats magic eats his astral form. And then while they're fighting, he basically gives them magic indigestion and destroys him from the inside out. But then they gotta zap them all away, and that takes everybody's energy um, to scatter all of their atoms, including the three mothers, across multiple dimensions, so they cannot be uh, rebonded together, and that's how they achieve victory. But the victory is Pyrrhic because at the end, Doctor Strange dissipates because he cannot cheat death in that way. All magic has its price, and the price is he has to return to dead. He has one last kiss with Clea and abuse her. Well, not really abuse her with magic. Leaves her the cloak of levitation in the eye of Agamotto. And through a kiss, uh, not only gets, you know, last kiss with her love, but also signs her as the new Sorcerer Supreme. So that's going to begin a new chapter. Um, with, um, well, I think that the books are just going to be called Strange. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've been, I think McKay is writing that one as well. I don't remember who is drawing it. Oh, it's uh, Mar- Mar- Marcelo Ferreira, however, however you say his name, who I like, I think. He's one of the guys that's been doing amaz- that was doing Amazing Spider-Man before um, Beyond. And I think I remember liking his chapters of the book. Um Anyway, they're doing this book, Strange, to focus on Clea as Sorcerer Supreme, and I think it will probably be pretty good. So, looking forward to checking that out. Um, I enjoyed Death of Doctor Strange. Some of the ending was a little kind of maybe telegraphed, like, yeah, that's probably what they're going to do, but I did not see resurrecting current Doctor Strange by basically physically overriding another person. Like, I I knew he was going to come back as part of the story. And also knew, some, I I honestly, so my guess would have been, if you had asked me, and I probably should have done this on a previous episode, so I could actually have it on record. But I, I mean, I would admit, I did not get it right. So my guess was that Dr. Strange would come back somehow. But we knew from like, you know, um, previews and stuff, that someone else was going to be Sorcerer Supreme. I didn't think he would die again. I thought he would just, like, retire or hang up the cloak for a while. Um, so I was both surprised to see how he came back. 
and then to see that he ended up dying again at the end, so it resurrected and dying all in the same issue. <laughs> so, and two Doctor Stranges died in one issue, so that's that's pretty interesting. Don't see that a lot. Um, yeah, I thought it was really well handled. I love the art. Uh, Wolverine was only in a few panels, but she looked great. Um, I'm going to give Death of Doctor Strange number five, six out of six claws. So, man, rocking and rolling. Some good books this issue, or this episode. Alright, so hopefully you enjoyed all that. Uh, I do have one bonus comic to talk about, and that is Black Panther number three, a.k.a. Black Panther number 200. Now, Wolverine is on the cover. He's not in the issue. But Gambit is, so we'll have some bonus Gambit's gumbo for Grant and any others who might enjoy this. This is The Long Shadow, book three, uh, written by John Ridley, art by Juan Cabal and Ibrahim Mustafa, colors by Matt Mia, uh, letters by Mises Josebino, and the cover is by Alex Ross. Now, again, the cover is The Throne, throne Room of Arico on Mars, and it's a big like X, a big like ebony X, the throne that Storm is sitting on. And she is flanked by Jean Grey, uh, Manifold, Cyclops, Gambit's Legs, <laughs> Magneto, Rogue, Wolverine, and Gentle. And then approaching the throne is a very humbled, like kind of shoulders squunched forward, uh, T'Challa with a Black Panther kind of symbolic energy around him, like a silhouette of the Panther ears and stuff kind of over his shoulders. It's a really cool cover. I mean, it's Alex Ross. Come on. Um, it looks great. Like I said, Wolverine's on the cover. He's not on the issue, but Gambit is. Um, so our art here, two Wolverine connections on the art, uh, Juan Cabal, a very highly loved artist on this show uh, with his work he did with Laura and Gabby in X-23. Um, and then Ibrahim Mustafa just did that uh, Wasteland Wolverine book that we did a couple episodes ago. Um, I like Cabal better than I like Mustafa as far as just I prefer the style. But um, that's all fine. Uh, so if you've not re been reading this volume of Black Panther, I've been really enjoying it overall so far. I feel like it is a continuation of Coates' run, which I loved and adored. I really did. I liked it a lot. Um, I mean, it was one of, consistently one of my favorite books on the shelf, both volumes that he did. Um, but it's a continuation without trying to be the same. So what I mean is that it, it grows organically out of what Coates did, but does its own thing. I mean, Ridley's a good writer. Um, I like him for the most I was trying to remember where all I've read him, and I, my mind is running a little short. But it's a name that I, I associate positively, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, so anyway, basically the idea is that uh, Wakanda, after the last like Galactic Empire story that Ghost did, has uh, embarked on democracy. But they still have T'Challa as a figurehead king, but he doesn't have like any... His power is symbolic. It kind of reminds me of like, uh, what you see, I guess, with the monarchy of Britain, right? That there's a parliament, but there's also a king, but there's supposed to be a level of democratic process. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what we're seeing here. T'Challa is struggling with that. And he's also, there's this idea that when 
I guess years ago when he kind of revealed Wakanda to the world. He wasn't sure how it would go, so he like sent the, these ten sweeper agents out into the world, and that would be ready in case you know anything ever went wrong. Um, and someone is hunting those agents down. Someone has found out about them and is hunting them, and now the Black Panther is on a mission to find them all and pull them back safely home. Um, and he's been doing that, and he's fighting these assassins, um, and some great action. Cabal does his first several pages of that, and then we switch art, um, and we go back to Wakanda. And then Shuri is kind of saying, he's she's confronted by uh, T'Challa's aide, who is the head of the um, the White Panther guys, what are their names? Jeez, uh, um, what does he say? I think he says it here. Um... No, he doesn't. But, um, anyway. Saying that, uh, T'Challa has disappeared at a very inopportune time. This stuff's not really going well and they need his presence, you know, just for, like, leadership, symbolically. Um, so Shuri reports that back to her brother. And, of course, he's like, well, I still got stuff I gotta do. Um, and they go to visit Mars. And kind of a double purpose. T'Challa's like, well, I'm, I'm trying to be unpredictable. They've been following me every step of the way. They can't follow me to Mars, I don't think. So he, he, wants, he also wants to get some comfort from Storm. And then he also is there to find Gentle, who, who puts on a very good show of being very mad about being deserted by Wakanda, but we find out he is a Wakanda sweeper agent as well, which is a really cool twist. Um, so the part of the Gambus in, <laughs> it's, really, it's really sweet and really funny at the same time. So... He's there, he's kind of flanking. He and Storm are in the, the greeting party, and Gambit's like, uh, Stormy Center ex-husband was coming by, and Gambit wanted to make sure you ain't here to break a hot again. And it's a really sweet and funny scene, because I love Gambit, and then Gambit has proven over and over again you can scrap with some of the best of them. I mean, the very, very classic issue that we've talked about before in the show, where he goes toe-to-toe with Wolverine. Um, you know, one-on-one, mano-a-mano. That said, I'm not super confident that for all his bravado here, that he can really take down Black Panther. <laughs> so he's mustering up, like, you know, he, he's talking tough. He's talking a good talk. And I, I, lo- I mean, I love this because, remember, Gamma's introduction to the X-Men, well, that we originally knew of the first time we knew of the X-Men, um, his introduction, at least to joining the team, or being involved in the X-Men on the side of the angels, as he liked, liked to say, um, was rescuing and kind of protecting the young Storm. And, you know, you know, she always hated him, calling her Stormy, such a very close relationship there, a, a deep bond. And so the idea that he's kind of like a big brother figure and is like threatening to kick the ass of the guy that broke her heart <laughs> is is really sincere and sweet and, and fun and really in character I think with Gambit as well. So it really really the scene really works for me. Now that said, I don't like I said, I'm not sure he could he could actually deliver on the threat, but it is still it's what you do, right? If your little sister is meeting an ex, you want to kinda of lay the lines of hey, you break her heart again. I got eyes on you. <laughs> it's just, it's a nice thing. 
Uh, so then, yeah, so after Gentle pretends to be mad, then we find out he's also a sweeper agent. Um, there's a, and that's kind of, it's, it's really great because at the end, Gentle's like, you know, um, you need a hug, and they, they hug on Mars. It's really it's a really sweet scene. Uh, so there's also a couple other stories. Let me go back to the beginning here. Um, there's a story by, well, is it not credited here? Come on, guys, what are you doing to me? Um, maybe it's down where it actually happens. Let me skim through these pages. La -de -da -de -da 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 yes, A Tall Tale of Tricks, uh, written in art by Junie Ba, colors by Chris O'Halloran, letters by V.C. Joe Sabino, and then there's The Wakandan, also written by John Ridley, with art by Herman Peralta. Uh, colors by Jesus Arbatov and letters by V.C. Josephino. This tale of tall tricks is awesome. It's a very stylized art style. Uh, this guy has a new image book. Uh, Juni Ba has a new image book. I, I don't know. Guy, person. Sorry. Let me be very, very clear there. I have no idea who they are. So this person has an image book. I may check it out because this, this art looks fantastic. Um... Basically, it's a classic like lion with the thorn in the paw, but it's best. And it's, it's a time early in T'Challa's reign as king of Wakanda. And he's sent to this other dimension basically when Bast swallows him and shits him out <laughs> in another dimension. Where there's this like crazy animal characters and this crazy trickster rabbit guy. Um, sends them to steal an item from this crazy warthog guy and in return he'll give him the tool to pull this magic thorn out of bast paw and so he does it and it's, it's really crazy it's really really cool art and the story is really fun and it's really really good so then the wakanda part um we find out there's a tribal wakanda so i didn't like what wakanda was doing so they kind of carved themselves out, went to a hidden part of Wakanda, and, and just lived in seclusion and simplicity. They're more in harmony with vibranium, but don't really use it to advance the, their technology or their society. But they've also learned to like imbue it into themselves. Kind of like Gentle does, in a way. It doesn't seem that much different than what Gentle does. Um, anyway, one of these guys... Um, says that in the interest of his protecting his tribe, he's going to check out this whole democracy thing, and so he goes as a delegate to the Wakandan parliament. The only thing I don't like about the story, is pretty cool, but we haven't, at this point in the story, unless there was like a solicit for a Wakanda war that I missed, but they go to war, and there's a civil war. And the, uh, the White Tigers, on me, either on behalf of Black Panther or in his name unwittingly, are going after the Prime Minister, but this guy, the Wakandan, steps in. His name is Tosin, and he protects the Prime Minister and is chosen to side in the war, and that's the beginning. So it's actually a pretty cool story and pretty cool origin for Tosin. The only thing I didn't like, I said, at least me, and maybe I missed something, but I didn't know and couldn't read from these first three issues that there was an imminent war. Now, there's been some drama and conflict in the parliamentary proceedings that would lead you to believe that maybe not everything is, is going well. It's a little bit rocky start to their democracy. 
but nothing that so far in the story itself that is said we're inevitably heading towards combat. So I'm kind of bummed that that is spoiled and shown before we get there. It is an integral part of this character's reveal, so I get that, but I don't know. That's really the only negative thing I have to say about the issue at all. Now, it's funny because <laughs> you know, it's hard to tell how serious sometimes, but uh, you know, as part of the X-Men voting campaign for the new vote for who's going to be next on the team, um, you know, Dylan in his from House of X with his uh, support of Monet also did some kind of fake slander, uh, I guess propaganda, I guess, against some of the other candidates. And of course, Gento was one of the candidates. Uh, you could vote for and he had said even before knowing about all this had said um, you know don't don't vote for general he's probably you know where his loyalties lies and telling stuff to Wakanda and then <laughs> rightfully so was very validated by the reveal of this issue <laughs> that that gentle was a sweeper agent so Dylan and House of X got it right um I personally, I, and I think he probably does too. I think it's more good-natured, but um, I think it's such an interesting twist on his character. I'm just glad to see him doing something. Uh, maybe, you know, I don't know if he should have been on the X-Men team or not as one of the X-Men. Uh, I maybe would have preferred him to Firestar. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, but I am glad because we haven't really seen him do anything since X-Men Red. And I like General a lot, so I'm, I'm really glad to see him have something to do, at least in this book, um, and hopefully we'll see that carry over into the X books, and would like to see, you know, because, you know, what uh, T'Challa was bringing the Sweeper Agents home, Gentle's going to stay with the X-Men on Mars, so, or with, sorry, with Krakoa, so I, I hope that there's more story to that in both this book and some of the X books, look forward to that. So, um, anyway, uh, this is a Gamma's Gumbo, so we're going to do four spades. I'm going to give this four out of four spades. I really am enjoying this new volume of Black Panther and enjoying this issue quite a bit, and even the backups were good. So, you know, for an anniversary issue, that's pretty good. Sometimes the backups are like, oh, well, I like the issue, but then you had this, so I don't know. But here, I think both stories enhanced the issue overall, with, you know, the small misstep of maybe ruining the upcoming war for me. <laughs> Well, that's Black Panther's 3 slash 200. I thought Gambit was really cool in it, even though I didn't have a whole lot to do, but it was a nice appearance and just a really great comic. Alright, guys, well, that's going to do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. So, um, next we'll go into X Lives, or sorry, 10 Lives and Wolverine number 2, but also are some of our, our bonus material for next week. Uh, we finally get the Sabretooth comic. Been looking forward to that, so hopefully it'll be pretty awesome. Um, so we'll definitely cover that next week as well. So as always, feel free to like write in and say what you think, what you think of, you can say what you think of the show. But I'm more interested in what you think of the comics and actually having a, a dialogue about the, the content of what we're talking about. But if you want to talk about the show too, that's fine. Um, how you can do that? You can like the Facebook page, of course. Um, Twitter is at Snickcast. Show notes and stuff for snickcast.podbean.com. Um, everyone, please continue to stay safe, stay well, take care of you and yours, um, you know, make good decisions and all that. And yeah, so until next time, hugs and snicks, everyone. Bye bye. And snacked.